0: section 21 of the journal of a tour to the hebrides with samuel johnson by james boswell this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by anthony ogus monday Eighteenth october we agreed to pass this day with sir alan and he engaged to have everything in order for our voyage tomorrow being now soon to be separated from our amiable friend young col his merits were all remembered at Ulva he had appeared in a new character having given us a good prescription for a cold on my mentioning him with warmth dr johnson said col does everything for us we will erect a statute to col yes said i and we will have him with his various attributes and characters like mercury or any other of the heathen gods We will have him as a pilot, we will have him as a fisherman, as a hunter, as a husbandman, as a physician. I this morning took a spade and dug a little grave in the floor of a ruined chapel near Sir Alan Maclean's house, in which I buried some human bones I found there. Dr. Johnson praised me for what I had done, though he owned he could not have done it. He showed in the chapel at Razi his horror at dead men's bones he showed it again at col's house in the charter-room there was a remarkable large shin-bone which was said to have been a bone of john garve one of the lairds dr johnson would not look at it but started away at breakfast i asked what is the reason we are angry at a trader's having opulence johnson why sir the reason is though i don't undertake to prove that there is a reason we see no qualities in trade that should entitle a man to superiority. We are not angry at a soldier's getting riches, because we see that he possesses qualities which we have not. If a man returns from a battle, having lost one hand, and with the other full of gold, we feel that he deserves the gold. But we cannot think that a fellow, by sitting all day at a desk, is entitled to get above us. Boswell But, sir, May we not suppose a merchant to be a man of an enlarged mind, such as Addison in The Spectator describes Sir Andrew Freeport to have been? Johnson. Why, sir, we may suppose any fictitious character. We may suppose a philosophical day-labourer who is happy in reflecting that, by his labour, he contributes to the fertility of the earth and to the support of his fellow creatures. But we find no such philosophical day-labourer. A merchant may perhaps be a man of an enlarged mind, but there is nothing in trade connected with an enlarged mind. I mentioned that I heard Dr Solander say he was a Swedish Laplander. Johnson Sir, I don't believe he is a Laplander. The Laplanders are not much above four feet high. He is as tall as you, and he has not the copper colour of a Laplander. Boswell, but what motive could he have to make himself a Laplander? johnson why sir he must either mean the word laplander in a very extensive sense or may mean a voluntary degradation of himself for all my being the great man that you see me now i was originally a barbarian as if burke should say i came over a wild irishman which he might say in his present state of exaltation having expressed a desire to have an island like inch kenneth Dr. Johnson set himself to think what would be necessary for a man in such a situation. Sir, I should build me a fortification if I came to live here, for if you have it not, what should hinder a parcel of ruffians to land in the night and carry off everything you have in the house, which in a remote country would be more valuable than cows and sheep? Add to all this the danger of having your throat cut. Boswell, I would have a large dog. Johnson, so you may sir but a large dog is of no use but to alarm he however i apprehend thinks too lightly of the power of that animal i have heard him say that he is afraid of no dog he would take him up by the hinder legs which would render him quite helpless and then knock his head against a stone and beat out his brains topham Beauclerk told me that at his house in the country two large ferocious dogs were fighting dr johnson looked steadily at them for a little while and then as one would separate two little boys who are foolishly hurting each other he ran up to them and cuffed their heads till he drove them asunder but few men have his intrepidity herculean strength or presence of mind most thieves or robbers would be afraid to encounter a mastiff i observed that when young Cole talked of the lands belonging to his family he always said my lands For this he had a plausible pretense, for, he told me, there has been a custom in this family that the Laird resigns the estate to the eldest son when he comes of age, reserving to himself only a certain life rent. He said it was a voluntary custom, but I think I found an instance in the charter room that there was such an obligation in a contract of marriage. If the custom was voluntary, it was only curious, but if founded on obligation, it might be dangerous, for I have been told that in Otaheite, whenever a child is born, a son, I think, the father loses his right to the estate and honours, and that this unnatural or rather absurd custom occasions the murder of many children. Young Cole told us he could run down a greyhound. For, said he, the dog runs himself out of breath by going too quick, and then I get up with him. I accounted for his advantage over the dog by remarking that Cole had the faculty of reason and knew how to moderate his pace, which the dog had not sense enough to do. Dr. Johnson said, He is a noble animal. He is as complete an islander as the mind can figure. He is a farmer, a sailor, a hunter, a fisher. He will run you down a dog. If any man has a tail, it is Cole. He is hospitable. "'and he has an intrepidity of talk "'whether he understands the subject or not. "'I regret that he is not more intellectual. "'Dr. Johnson observed that there was nothing "'of which he would not undertake "'to persuade a Frenchman in a foreign country. "'I'll carry a Frenchman to St Paul's churchyard "'and I'll tell him by our law "'you may walk half round the church "'but if you walk round the whole "'you will be punished capitally "'and he will believe me at once.' Now, no Englishman would readily swallow such a thing. He would go and inquire of somebody else. The Frenchman's credulity, I observed, must be owing to his being accustomed to implicit submission, whereas every Englishman reasons upon the laws of his country and instructs his representatives who compose the legislature. This day was passed in looking at a small island adjoining Inch Kenneth, which afforded nothing worthy of observation, and in such social and gay entertainments as our little society could furnish. Tuesday, 19th October After breakfast we took leave of the young ladies, and of our excellent companion Cole, to whom we had been so much obliged. He had now put us under the care of his chief, and was to hasten back to Skye. We parted from him with very strong feelings of kindness and gratitude, and we hoped to have had some future opportunity of proving to him the sincerity of what we felt. But in the following year he was unfortunately lost in the sound between Alva and Mull, and this imperfect memorial, joined to the high honour of being tenderly and respectfully mentioned by Dr Johnson, is the only return which the uncertainty of human events has permitted us to make to this deserving young man sir Allen, who obligingly undertook to accompany us to icomkill had a strong good boat with four stout rowers we coasted along mull till we reached gribbon where is what is called mckinnon's cave compared with which that at Ullinish is inconsiderable it is in a rock of a great height close to the sea upon the left of its entrance there is a cascade almost perpendicular from the top to the bottom of the rock there is a tradition that it was conducted thither artificially to supply the inhabitants of the cave with water dr johnson gave no credit to this tradition as on the one hand his faith in the christian religion is firmly founded upon good grounds so on the other he is incredulous when there is no sufficient reason for belief being in this respect just the reverse of modern infidels who however nice and scrupulous in weighing the evidences of religion yet often so ready to believe the most absurd and improbable tales of another nature, that Lord Hales well observed a good essay might be written sur la credulité des incrédules. The height of this cave I cannot tell with any tolerable exactness, but it seemed to be very lofty and to be a pretty regular arch. We penetrated by candlelight a great way, by our measurement no less than 485 feet, tradition says that a piper and twelve men once advanced into this cave nobody can tell how far and never returned at the distance to which we proceeded the air was quite pure for the candle burned freely without the least appearance of the flame-growing globular but as we had only one we thought it dangerous to venture farther lest should it have been extinguished we should have had no means of ascertaining whether we could remain without danger Dr Johnson said this was the greatest natural curiosity he had ever seen. We saw the island of Staffa at no very great distance, but could not land upon it, the surge was so high on its rocky coast. Sir Allen, anxious for the honour of Mull, was still talking of its woods and pointing them out to Dr Johnson as appearing at a distance on the skirts of that island as we sailed along johnson sir i saw at tobermory what they called a wood which i unluckily took for heath if you show me what i shall take for firs it will be something in the afternoon we went ashore on the coast of mull and partook of a cold repast which we carried with us we hoped to have procured some rum or brandy for our boatmen and servants from a public-house near where we landed but unfortunately a funeral a few days before had exhausted all their store. Mr. Campbell, however, one of the Duke of Argyll's taxmen, who lived in the neighbourhood, on receiving a message from Sir Alan, sent us a liberal supply. We continued to coast along Mull and passed by Nun's Island, which it is said belonged to the nuns of Icomkill, and from which we were told the stone for the buildings there was taken as we sailed along by moonlight in a sea somewhat rough and often between black and gloomy rocks dr johnson said if this not be roving among the hebrides nothing is the repetition of words which he had so often previously used made a strong impression on my imagination and by a natural course of thinking led me to consider how our present adventures would appear to me at a future period i have often experienced that scenes through which a man has passed improve by lying in the memory they grow mellow actae labores sunt yucundae this may be owing to comparing them with present listless ease even harsh scenes acquire a softness by length of time and some are like very loud sounds which do not please or at least do not please so much till you are removed to a certain distance They may be compared to strong coarse pictures which will not bear to be viewed near. Even pleasing scenes improve by time and seem more exquisite in recollection than when they were present, if they had not faded to dimness in the memory. Perhaps there is so much evil in every human enjoyment when present, so much dross mixed with it, that it requires to be refined by time, and yet I do not see why time should not melt away the good and the evil in equal proportions, why the shade should decay and the light remain in preservation. After a tedious sail, which by our following various turnings of the coast of Mull was extended to about forty miles, it gave us no small pleasure to perceive a light in the village at Icomkill, in which almost all the inhabitants of the island live, close to where the ancient buildings stood. As we approached the shore, the tower of the cathedral, just discernible in the air, was a picturesque object. When we had landed upon the sacred place, which as long as I can remember I had thought on with veneration, Dr. Johnson and I cordially embraced. We had long talked of visiting Icomkill, and from the lateness of the season were at times very doubtful whether we should be able to effect our purpose. To have seen it even alone would have given me great satisfaction, but the venerable scene was rendered much more pleasing by the company of my great and pious friend, who was no less affected by it than I was, and who has described the impressions it should make on the mind with such strength of thought and energy of language that I shall quote his words as conveying my own sensations much more forcibly than I am capable of doing we were now treading that illustrious island which was once the luminary of the caledonian regions whence savage clans and roving barbarians derived the benefits of knowledge and the blessings of religion to abstract the mind from all local emotion would be impossible if it were endeavoured and would be foolish if it were possible whatever withdraws us from the power of our senses whatever makes the past the distant or the future predominate over the present advances us in the dignity of thinking beings. Far from me and from my friends be such frigid philosophy as may conduct us indifferent and unmoved over any ground which has been dignified by wisdom, bravery or virtue, that man is little to be envied whose patriotism would not gain force upon the plain of Marathon or whose piety would not grow warmer among the ruins of Iona. Upon hearing that Sir Allan MacLean was arrived, the inhabitants, who still consider themselves as a people of MacLean, to whom the island formerly belonged, though the Duke of Argyll has at present possession of it, ran eagerly to him. We were accommodated this night in a large barn, the island affording no lodging that we should have liked so well. Some good hay was strewed at one end of it to form a bed for us, upon which we lay with our clothes on, and we were furnished with blankets from the village. Each of us had a portmanteau for a pillow. When I waked in the morning and looked round me, I could not help smiling at the idea of the chief of the Maclean's, the great English moralist and myself, lying thus extended in such a situation. Wednesday, 20th October early in the morning we surveyed the remains of antiquity at this place accompanied by an illiterate fellow a cicerone who called himself a descendant of a cousin of st columba the founder of the religious establishment here as i knew that many persons had already examined them and as i saw dr johnson inspecting and measuring several of the ruins of which he has since given so full an account my mind was quiescent and I resolved to stroll among them at my ease, to take no trouble to investigate minutely, and only receive the general impression of solemn antiquity, and the particular ideas of such objects as should of themselves strike my attention. We walked from the monastery of nuns to the great church, or cathedral as they call it, along an old broken causeway. They told us that this had been a street, and that there were good houses built on each side. Dr Johnson doubted if it was anything more than a paved road for the nuns. The convent of monks, the great church, Oran's chapel, and four other chapels, are still to be discerned. But I must own that I did not answer my expectations, for they were high from what I had read of it, and still more from what I had heard and thought of it from my earliest years.' dr johnson said it came up to his expectations because he had taken his impression from an account of it subjoined to sacharel's history of the isle of man where it is said there is not much to be seen here we were both disappointed when we were shown what are called the monuments of the kings of scotland ireland and denmark and of a king of france there are only some gravestones flat on the earth and we could see no inscriptions how far short was this of marble monuments like those in westminster abbey which i had imagined here the gravestones of sir alan Maclean's family and that of macquarie had as good an appearance as the royal gravestones if they were royal we doubted my easiness to give credit to what i heard in the course of our tour was too great dr johnson's peculiar accuracy of investigation detected much traditional fiction and many gross mistakes it is not to be wondered at that he was provoked by people carelessly telling him with the utmost readiness and confidence what he found on questioning them a little more was erroneous of this there were innumerable instances i left him and sir alan to breakfast in our barn and stole back again to the cathedral to indulge in solitude and devout meditation While contemplating the venerable ruins, I reflected with much satisfaction that the solemn scenes of piety never lose their sanctity and influence, though the cares and follies of life may prevent us from visiting them, or may even make us fancy that their effects are only as yesterday when is past, and never again to be perceived. I hoped that ever after having been in this holy place I should maintain an exemplary conduct. One has a strange propensity to fix upon some point of time from whence a better course of life may begin being desirous to visit the opposite shore of the island where saint columba is said to have landed i procured a horse from one McGuinness, who ran along as my guide the McGuinnesses are said to be a branch of the clan of mclean sir alan had been told that this man had refused to send him some rum "'at which the knight was in great indignation. "'You rascal,' said he, "'don't you know that I can hang you if I please?' "'Not adverting to the chieftain's power over his clan, "'I imagined that Sir Alan had known of some capital crime "'that the fellow had committed which he could discover "'and so get him condemned, and said, "'How so?' "'Why,' said Sir Alan, "'are they not all my people?' "'Sensible of my inadvertency, and most willing to contribute what I could "'towards the continuation of feudal authority, very true,' said I. "'Sir Allen went on, refuse to send rum to me, you rascal. "'Don't you know that if I order you to go and cut a man's throat, you are to do it?' "'Yes, and please your honour, and my own too, and hang myself too.' "'The poor fellow denied that he had refused to send the rum.' His making these professions was not merely a pretense in presence of his chief, for after he and I were out of Sir Alan's hearing, he told me, had he sent his dog for the rum I would have given it, I would cut my bones for him. It was very remarkable to find such an attachment to a chief, though he had then no connection with the island, and had not been there for fourteen years. Sir Alan, by way of upbraiding the fellow, said, I believe you are a Campbell the place which i went to see is about two miles from the village they call it port from the wherry in which columba came though when they show the length of his vessel as marked on the beach by two heaps of stone they say here is the length of the Curra, using the earth's word icomkill is a fertile island the inhabitants export some cattle and grain and i was told they import nothing but iron and salt they are industrious, and make their own woollen and linen cloth, and they brew a good deal of beer, which we did not find in any of the other islands. We set sail again about midday, and in the evening landed on Mull, near the house of the Reverend Mr Neil MacLeod, who, having been informed of our coming by a message from Sir Allen, came out to meet us. We were this night very agreeably entertained at his house. Dr. Johnson observed to me that he was the cleanest-headed man that he had met with in the Western Islands. He seemed to be well acquainted with Dr. Johnson's writings, and courteously said, I have been often obliged to you, though I never had the pleasure of seeing you before. He told us he had lived for some time in St. Kilda, under the tuition of the minister or catechist there, and had there first read Horace and Virgil. The scenes which they describe must have been a strong contrast to the dreary waste around him. Thursday 21st October This morning the subject of politics was introduced. Johnson. Pulteney was as paltry a fellow as could be. He was a Whig who pretended to be honest. And you know it is ridiculous for a Whig to pretend to be honest. He cannot hold it out. He called Mr. Pitt a Meteor, Sir Robert Walpole, a fixed star. He said, It is wonderful to think that all the force of government was required to prevent Wilkes from being chosen the Chief Magistrate of London, though the liverymen knew he would rob their shops, knew he would debauch their daughters. Boswell The history of England is so strange that if it were not so well vouched as it is, it would hardly be credible. Johnson Sir, if it were told as shortly and with as little preparation for introducing the different events as the history of the Jewish kings, it would be equally liable to objections of improbability. Mr MacLeod was much pleased with the justice and novelty of the thought. Dr Johnson illustrated what he had said as follows. Take, as an instance, Charles I's concessions to his Parliament, which were greater and greater in proportion as the Parliament grew more insolent and less deserving of trust. Had these concessions been related nakedly, without any detail of the circumstances which generally led to them, they would not have been believed. Sir Alan MacLean bragged that Scotland had the advantage of England by its having more water, johnson sir we would not have your water to take the vile bogs which produce it you have too much a man who is drowned has more water than either of us and then he laughed but this was surely robust sophistry for the people of taste in england who have seen scotland own that its variety of rivers and lakes makes it naturally more beautiful than england in that respect pursuing his victory over sir allan he proceeded Your country consists of two things, stone and water. There is indeed a little earth above the stone in some places, but a very little, and the stone is always appearing. It is like a man in rags, the naked skin is still peeping out. He took leave of Mr MacLeod, saying, Sir, I thank you for your entertainment and your conversation.' Mr. Campbell, who had been so polite yesterday, came this morning on purpose to breakfast with us, and very obligingly furnished us with horses to proceed on our journey to Mr. McLean's of Loch By, where we were to pass the night. We dined at the house of Dr. Alexander McLean, another physician in Mull, who was so much struck with the uncommon conversation of Dr. Johnson that he observed to me, "'This man is just a hogshead of sense.' dr johnson said of the turkish spy which lay in the room that it told nothing but what everybody might have known at that time and that what was good in it did not pay you for the trouble of reading to find it after a very tedious ride through what appeared to be the most gloomy and desolate country i had ever beheld we arrived between seven and eight o'clock at moy the seat of the laird of loch By in earth signifies yellow and I at first imagined that the loch or branch of the sea here was thus denominated in the same manner as the Red Sea, but I afterwards learned that it derived its name from a hill above it, which being of a yellowish hue has the epithet of bai. We had heard much of loch Bay's being a great roaring braggadocio, a kind of Sir John Falstaff, both in size and manners, but we found that they had swelled him up to a fictitious size and clothed him with imaginary qualities. Cole's idea of him was equally extravagant, though very different. He told us he was quite a Don sot, and said he would give a good deal to see him and Dr Johnson together. The truth is that Loch By proved to be only a bluff, comely, noisy old gentleman, proud of his hereditary consequence, and a very hearty and hospitable landlord.' Lady Lochby was sister to Sir Alan Maclean, but much older. He said to me, they're quite antediluvians. Being told that Dr. Johnson did not hear well, Loughby bawled out to him, are you of the Johnstons of Glen or of ardner Dr. Johnson gave him a significant look, but made no answer, and I told Loughby that he was not Johnston, but Johnson, and that he was an Englishman. Loch By, some years ago, tried to prove himself a weak man, liable to imposition, or as we term it in Scotland, a facile man, in order to set aside a lease which he had granted, but failed in the attempt. On my mentioning this circumstance to Dr Johnson, he seemed much surprised that such a suit was admitted by the Scottish law, and observed that, In England no man is allowed to stultify himself. Sir Alan By and I had the conversation chiefly to ourselves tonight. Dr Johnson, being extremely weary, went to bed soon after supper. End of section 21